uh, so I guess six weeks ago now we did a uh, we did a vision night, and then we, that uh, Sunday, shortly thereafter, we talked about the the building, and I shared with you some numbers and the budget and where we were with the building and all those things, and and I told you how we were just walking by faith and how it seemed like the Lord had sort of hit pause on the building, and you know we basically are sort of out of finances and just waiting on Him to provide for the next phase and so we can wrap it up and, and get in it, but. As I shared with you that Sunday, it seems like the Lord did all these things, and it's just like a pause. It's like He just hit pause, and the building stops. And I felt like this this whole time, and talking to some of the other leaders in the church, we just sort of felt like this time was a time of preparation, and that God has hit pause and, and has not let us move into it because we're not ready to move into it yet, because we're not who we need to be. And, you know, we're not where we need to be. Maybe I, I don't know. But two weeks ago, I did a, a message called Spiritual uh, Checkup, and uh, it's on the website and the podcast. You can go check it out. And I dealt with three things that the Lord just sort of showed me in the church that need to be dealt with. And so today is really along the same lines. We call it spiritual shakeup number two. Uh, but just sort of continue that theme and really three areas that I really felt led to deal with. And the first one is servanthood. So checkpoint number one is servanthood. From Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 28. Uh, again, context is always important. So let me put this passage in context before we read it. Because you can get in trouble if you, if you don't keep that in mind. If you take verses out of context and make them say what you want, you can't do that, right? You've got to keep it in context. So in context, what's going on here, there's, there was this mother who was Zebedee's wife. And if you do a little cross-reference, then you'll see her name was Salome. I guess is the way you pronounce it. S-A-L-O-M-E. Or Salome, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. We'll call it Salome. That sounds better than Salome, right? <laughs> but this, this woman, this mother, Zebedee's wife, she, she came to Jesus with her two sons, and her two sons were the disciples, James and John. And basically they come to Jesus, and Jesus asks her, he says, what do you want? And basically the mother, Zebedee's wife, tells, she says, basically what I want is for you to grant my two sons to sit on your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. I want you to give my two sons, James and John, those positions of your right, on your right and left in your kingdom. And Jesus goes on, and he asks her some sort of probing questions, and really he, he rebukes her. And essentially, he tells her that those positions are not his to give away. He says those positions are for those that are prepared by the Father. Okay? So that leads up to the passage that's on the screen. It says in verse, this is actually verse 24, I believe it is, it's on the screen. That's where we're starting. Matthew chapter 20. He says, and when the ten, that would be the ten other disciples. Because James and John are with mom and they heard this conversation. When the, when, the other ten, when the ten, the other disciples heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. Notice what he says here. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be what? Your servant. Then he says, And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, serve, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. The first thing that jumped out with me is that the ten other disciples, it says they were greatly displeased. So really, what he's saying is they're ticked off. So I've got to think of, well, why, why are these ten other guys that didn't make that request with Mama, what, you know, who Mom didn't come to the defense of, why are they ticked off? And I don't really know. Let me give you a couple possibilities. Number one, maybe they're ticked off because James and John thought about this first, right? Not only did they think about it, but they went and got their mom, and somehow she got involved in the whole process and come and talked to Jesus on behalf of her boys, right? Great mom. 
you know, to petition Jesus for, you know, right and left on the throne of heaven. That's a good mom, right? Amen? Amen. Any mom would do it. Number two, you know, again, I don't know. Maybe they're ticked off because James and John were too ambitious. They thought, hey, these guys are just trying to climb the corporate ladder. That's all this is about, right? It's about another another step in the ladder, another run, and getting a little higher than everybody else. Maybe that's why they were ticked off. Greatly displeased. Maybe they were greatly displeased because James and John's actions really reflected the culture of the world around them instead of the kingdom that Jesus was trying to build. I really don't know why they were greatly displeased, but... Notice what he does here, and I love this. It says that Jesus, what did he do right there? But Jesus called them to himself. And I love the fact that Jesus uses this situation in the conflict between James and John and the mama of Salami, right? And he uses that conflict between them and the other ten disciples to teach a very, very important lesson in terms of the kingdom and the kingdom principle. And that kingdom principle is simply servanthood. You see, in the world, greatness is measured by mastery and by ruling, right? It's all about more, 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 more. It's more power, it's more control, it's more money, it's more of all the things the world uses to measure uh, greatness. And that's what these guys are after. Because if you look, that's what he talks about. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. And I've said it again, that's a problem with a lot of churches today is the structure in the church is set up to maintain that power and control. Right? It's all it's this, it's this world system. But Jesus says it's not that at all. But in, in the kingdom, greatness is not found in being a ruler and exercising authority. But he says greatness in the kingdom in being, is determined by being a what? A servant. And whoever desires to be first among you should be your what? He says slave. Jesus takes everything they've known and ever seen in their culture and he flips it upside down. He says it's not about climbing up the ladder, it's about walking down the ladder. <laughs> it's not about climbing up the ladder, some title and position, but it's about stepping down the ladder and serving even the least of these. Jesus takes the whole model and flips it upside down. Now I'm going to bring up just a few things about the request because there's some great lessons here for us. The first one I want you to see is that the request was it's really ignorant. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean ignorance and not knowing. They had no knowledge. Because the reality is, the, the path to the throne, and what Mom was really asking for James and John, she has no idea. <laughs> she has no idea what she's asking for. I mean, she wants them to have those positions of authority. She wants them at the right and left hand of Jesus. But the reality is, the path to the throne was difficult. Matter of fact, the path to the throne for Jesus was the cross. So Mom really didn't understand what she's asking. It's really an ignorant uh, request, really, if you want to look at it that way. We know, we know from the Bible and from history that James, one of those two, was the first disciple ever killed. We know also that John spent some very hard days exiled on an isle called Patmos. But what, the, what I want you to see is it was an inner request because they didn't understand what they were asking for. In reality, what they're doing is they're seeking their will and what they wanted and what they saw above that of the Lord and His kingdom. So it was an inner request. Number two, I want you to see it was a skewed request. Skewed request. It's skewed, why? Because they're thinking like the world. They're looking at the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom that was to come, and they're measured by the standards of the Gentiles who lord over them and who exercise great authority, right? They wanted to be like those guys. They wanted to be like the Gentile leaders that they had seen, right? So they had the wrong perspective. They're looking at the kingdom and at the ministry of Jesus through the perspective of the world, instead of a perspective of the kingdom, because they're completely different. Number three, I want you to see that the request was selfish. 
extremely selfish. They get mocked to speak on our behalf, but the reality is they were seeking glory all for themselves. Had nothing to do with the Lord. It was all about them and the position that they sought so they could be rulers and leaders and exercise authority over the rest of the disciples. It was all about them. It was all about them. And number four, I want you to see that the request was prideful. It was prideful. If you read back in Isaiah chapter 14, you'll see where Satan tried to basically make himself equal with God and take the throne away from God himself. And because of that, the Bible says that him and a, a third of the angels were cast out of heaven and down to the earth. If you read over in the New Testament where Jesus is tempted by Satan, Satan offers him what? A throne. He offers him a kingdom. He says, if you'll just bow down and worship me, all the kingdoms of the world, Jesus, they'll be yours. Right? It all, what I want you to see is it all goes back to a throne. It's all about a throne. Because the root issue here is pride. And all pride, listen to me. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. All pride is rooted in the enemy. All pride is from the devil. It's from the pit of hell. And that's what's going on here. It's rooted in pride. And it's all a prideful thing to you know, take the position they wanted and, and do all that they wanted to do. Amen? So I'm going to borrow a phrase from my beautiful wife. She says, Too many people are seeking titles instead of towels. I agree with her. I think the problem in the church today is we have too many people who are seeking titles and positions instead of towels. What, see, what, what do you mean, preacher? Well, listen, over in, in, in the New Testament, I read where Jesus, the one who had a right to every throne, who had a right to every title and every position, instead of taking those things, what does he do? The Bible says in the upper room that he, he took a towel and he got down as a servant and washed the feet of his disciples. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. That's what I see in Jesus. Again, the very one who, who could have taken any title, position, he bows down in service and washes the feet of his disciples. But we want titles and we want positions and we want to say, hey, look at me. Instead of picking up a towel, serving somebody else and saying, hey, look at him. Look at him. It has nothing to do with me. Look at him. Amen? Amen? I can tell you personally that there is no satisfaction in titles and positions. None at all. I can tell you because I used to be there for a long time. That's what I saw. When, when I was in the, you know, the secular world, I always worked in engineering and machining. It was always about the title. It was always about the position and the title and the money that came with it. And then the church... Initially for me, it was all about the same things, right? It was about the title. It was about pastor, you know, having reverend in front of your name or the church size or climbing up some denominational ladder. That's not me anymore. <laughs> and I can tell you the great thing out of all that, if there is one, is I can spot those ladder, ladder climbers instantly. God just shows them. Most of the time, they don't have to get past an introduction. I can tell you by the way they introduce themselves where their heart is. 
And if they get past that, it's usually just a very short conversation, and you can see what where their heart is. You can see do they truly have a, a heart of a servant, and it's about the service and the ministry and helping other people, or is it about a position and pushing my agenda and building my empire and my kingdom? Because it's usually one of those two. But I want you to understand, and I said this when we opened our prayer up this morning, that true and lasting satisfaction, true and lasting fulfillment is only found when I pick up the towel and serve someone else. It's not found in a position or a title or being an authority or lording over someone else. It's found in serving others. So listen, instead of thrones and titles and promotions, let's try seeking towels. Let's try serving in humility. For me, I'll tell you honestly, it all goes back to verse 28 right here on the bottom. Look. Just as the Son of Man, that's Jesus, just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to give to, to uh, excuse me, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So here's what I think about it very simply. If, if the very one who rightly deserved those positions, if the very one who rightly could have demanded any throne on the planet and any title on the planet, did not, then what right do I have to claim any? He had the authority to do so, and he didn't. He had the authority to do whatever, whenever, because he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Yet he sets those things aside, he grabs a towel, and he washes the feet of his disciples. So checkpoint number one is servanthood. How how are you serving? Are you seeking to serve and pick up a towel and, and serve people in humility, or is it all about titles and positions and paychecks and authority and ruling over other people? Number two, your second checkpoint is laziness. Laziness. I'm going to look at this one from two different perspectives. I want to talk about physical laziness real quick, and then we're going to get into some spiritual laziness. So first, let's do the physical. The text is on the screen. Your second Thessalonians 3.10. It says, For you yourselves know that you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread for your charge, but work with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. And I love this phrase right here. Not because we do not have authority. Not because we couldn't. But to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. We're going to make that a live verse right there. Now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Again, context is important. The Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Thessalonica and evidently there was an issue in Thessalonica with a lot of idleness. People just sitting around doing nothing. A lot of that today too, by the way. People just idle, doing, doing nothing. People just sitting around waiting on Jesus. You know, yes, yes, there's 8,000 people around my church that don't know Jesus, but I'm just sitting here waiting on Jesus, right? Yes, there's all kinds of work in ministry to do, but hey, I'm just sitting here waiting on Jesus. That's the mentality. Notice what he says here about the third line. He said, we work with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we command you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Verse 10 is very clear. If you don't work, then you don't eat. I mean, what it's saying is there's no excuse for, for laziness inside or outside the church. You can go on. First Timothy 5.8. Check this one out. 
He says, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than who? An unbeliever. If you're physically able, you're expected to work. It is that simple. If you're physically able, you're expected to work. Certainly there will always be cases for charity and sharing the love of Christ, for helping people, but the, the, what I want you to see is this: there's this entitlement mentality in our culture that you know I can just sit around and play video games all day and do whatever, and the government just take care of me and mail me a check. Yeah. I mean, there's really people that are living there, and that's what they think. But that's not the mentality at all. And the, but what I want you to understand more than anything is that that mentality has saturated the church. Yeah. That's that mentality of of everybody owes me an entitlement has crept into the church. So now we have churches filled with people who want to sit here and do nothing. People all around us dying every day without Jesus. People all around us who, who God wants to rock their world and pursue them with reckless love, but we're the instrument. And if all we're doing is huddled up in a building waiting on Jesus to come back, then we miss the whole point. We're not left here to sit by idly and do nothing. We are left here to reach the world with the gospel. If that's not the case, Jesus would have already came back. And then you, here, here's the other thing. You get people in the church and they want all the bells and whistles. And they want this church of you know, 20 people and you know, wherever to be like you know, Christ Cathedral or you know, Elevation or whatever, right? We want, we want all the bells and whistles of the modern day church but nobody wants to do anything. Everybody wants it. They want everything, but they don't want to do anything. <laughs> so, here's, here's sort of where I'm at. Here's, here's the way I see it in all honesty. Socialism does not work. And our brother from Germany said, Amen. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so seriously, economically, socialism will never work. If you don't believe me, you look at Europe with every country being bankrupt. Venezuela right now, same deal about to go under. It will not ever work. Everybody agree with me on that one? Amen? For the most part? But here, listen to me. We take that mentality but we and we say socialism never works, but then in the church, we're basically operating on socialism. The, the phrase that the Lord sort of gave me this week was spiritual socialism. Because we have 10% of the people... 10% of the body is carrying the load of the other 90%. You have 10, I mean, historically, in any church, 10% of the people do 90% of the work. That will never work. That is socialism. That is the 90% with the mentality attitude living on the 10% that are doing everything, and we can't survive that way. Nobody can survive that way. It doesn't work. Amen? Amen. So, again, if you can work, then you, you, you need to. If you don't work, you don't need. That's what it says in verse 10. I didn't say it, Jesus said it. Or actually Paul said it. Second one, spiritual laziness. So we talked about physical laziness. Let's talk about spiritual laziness for a second. Hebrews 10, right here. Hebrews 10, 24-25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Now this verse right here, you hear all the time, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man of some is, but exhorting one another or encouraging one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. You hear a lot of people throw up verse 25 of, to people who don't want to go to church or who skip church or lay out or whatever, right? That you can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But listen, the idea all the way through chapter 10 is that we have to provoke each other we have to, in a good way. We'll talk about that in a second. 
Not bad provoking, but a good provoking. We have to encourage each other and we have to stay together with one another. But listen, all those words, all those action words in verses 24 and 25, guess what? They are action words. And what, what, when I think about action, what's that mean? When there's action involved, that means i got to do what? i got to work. Right? i got to do something. I can't sit here and do anything and encourage one another. I can't sit here and do nothing and exhort others. I can't sit here and do nothing and provide for others. Right? All those things are actions, and they require an initiative. They require us to do something. You with me? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So let me slide that for a second. I love the mountains. I love going to the mountains. There are days that, I, honestly, I would like to load up my truck. I've had a lot of those days here lately. <laughs> there are days I like to load up my truck and just head up to Ash County and buy a remote, secluded house and stay there till I die. Or until Jesus comes back. Or I'll take that church mentality. <clears throat> and maybe, maybe you're not a mountain person, maybe you're a beach person, and hey, you can put Oak Island in there and it's all the same, right? You just like to go down to the outer bank somewhere and buy a little secluded private beach area and stay there until Jesus comes back. Amen. You with me? You have those days? Yeah. I do, absolutely. But here, here's what the Lord sort of showed me in the last few weeks because honestly, I, I stay there a lot. <laughs> uh, there's just days that I just really want to get away and have an escape. But what, what the Lord sort of showed me, and please don't miss this, and please don't misunderstand, but the, the idea of a remote, secluded, retired life is what I, a retired life is what I would love most days, in all honesty. But I can tell you that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus taught. Exactly the opposite of what Jesus taught. How can I reach people for the Lord and serve Him and take the towel and be the servant He's called me to be if I'm living in seclusion? I can't. How can I, again, be the servant He's called me to be and reach people for the Lord and expand His kingdom and do all He's called me to do if I withdraw from society and go hide out in the mountains or I go hide out at the beach? I can. I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where Jesus ever encouraged seclusion. I never know where he says, hey, go off by yourself and hide for a few years. Just let them sort it out. Right? The only place I see solitude is where he goes to the garden to pray. And you definitely need prayer, solitude for prayer at times. I don't see anywhere where he tells me to withdraw and go build a monastery up on the top of a mountain somewhere and hide out for the next 50 years. Nowhere where he tells me, honestly, and honestly, I don't see retirement, even the, the concept of retirement, anywhere in Scripture. Now, I understand that physically you get to a place where you have to do something different. I get that. I'm not, I'm not knocking retirement. But spiritually, we can't retire. You see, we have churches all across our land today, honestly, within 10 years of shutting down. Because it's filled with older people who want to live a retired, withdrawn, secluded life and say, I'm done. That's where they're at. Don't see that in the Bible. Again, the actions in that verse, he says, stir them up. Provoke one another. It's not, he's not talking about a bad, you know, prodding and making somebody mad like I do Brian all the time. He's talking about a, a provoking and an encouragement and helping them grow and mature and pushing them forward. That's what he's talking about, right? He tells us to exhort or encourage one another. He tells us to serve others. He says, 
be faithful in communion. Not, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. All those things he tells me require action. And those things don't matter if you're 10 years old or if you're 110 years old. Those same things still apply. You know, there's, no, there's not a date when you can spiritually just check out and say, okay, I'm done. Let the, let the younger generation have it. That don't work. We have to quit hiding under the guise of prayer and Bible reading and live out the faith that we claim to possess. We have to be quit being passive. We have to engage. That's what I want you to see. That's all I'm trying to say. We have to engage spiritually. Amen? Amen. And God has a purpose and plan for your life. And as long as you are breathing, it's not over. I don't care if you're 120. If you still have the breath of life within you, you have it for a plan and purpose. And God's not finished. There's, there's no spiritual retirement. There's no spiritual seclusion or withdrawal. Our goal is to keep working spiritually, to keep investing in other people, to keep living in community, encouraging, provoking, serving, doing all those things that we do so that we can impact eternity. Because, listen, what, what's 110 years in the scope of eternity? But God's gave me those years, however many there are, whether there, there's 50 years or 150 years, God gave me all that time to serve Him and to invest in eternity going forward. Amen? All right, finally, checkpoint number three is availability. Third and final area. Honestly, this is one of my, my favorite passages in the New Testament. It's full of meaning. There's a lot of beautiful symbolism from the Old Testament here. But what, what I see in a lot of churches today as well, and also what I see in a lot of Christians, is this mentality that they can straddle the fence in terms of their walk. Right? That they can, you know, sort of be a Christian sometimes and not a Christian sometimes. And I say this a lot, you know, that we can live like the Lord on Sunday and like the devil Monday through Saturday, right? We can, we can turn it on and off. And I'll be honest, there's a lot of Christians who are living there that think they can, that they can do that. They can straddle the fence and just, you know, do whatever. Again, I don't, I don't see anywhere where the Bible even alludes to the idea that I can disconnect from my faith or that I can Disconnect from my relationship with God, the God who pursues me recklessly that we just talked about. I can't unhinge from that. You know, the, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says when you accept Christ in Ephesians, He says that when you accept Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. He is in you. God is in you. I can't flip the switch and turn that off. I can't say, okay, God, I'm going to sit you right here and I'm going to go over here and do this thing that I really shouldn't do, and then I'll come back and get you. Right? It's like, let me drop you off and let me go run an air and I'll come back. I mean, really, that's the way we do it. That's the way we treat it. And we compartmentalize our lives. And we say, okay, God, you have this, but this part over here is off limits. You know, I'll give you Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, that's mine. Or I'll give you this hour or whatever, you know, and you know, however we're going to do it. But what I want you to see is you, you can't do that. You can't turn it on and off like a switch. You can't disconnect from it. He's there all the time. His influence is there all the time. You know, he never leaves us or forsakes us. So, so here's the deal. I want you to see this morning very simply that God loves you immeasurably. He wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. 24-7, 365. It don't matter what you're doing or where you are. And if you're doing things that are not in line with what you should be and are not walking as you should, guess what? He's going to check you. And what, what do you do then? Well, you deal with it. What you don't do is keep going the same direction and say, oh, you're wrong on this one. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I understand you're the God of all wisdom and you're within me, but now you got this one wrong. 
Yeah, he, he don't get it wrong. And when he checks us, we've got to be quick to deal with those things and, and, and do it rightly. But notice what he says here. Again, one of my favorite passages. He says, I, present, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Notice what he says here. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He says to present your bodies. That word literally means to place a person or thing at another person's disposal. Let me read that again. Present your bodies. Literally, to place a person or thing at another's disposal. So what's he saying? He said that the job, our job as Christians, is not to go do whatever I want, to check out on the Holy Spirit and go do things I know He didn't want me to do, but the job is that I surrender my body to Him every day of my life. And I say, okay, God, I'm yours. What are we doing today? And that every minute of that day, not just when I get home, right, but at school, at work, the grocery store, Walmart, wherever He takes you, you're that instrument. That surrendered instrument. Uh, and you present your body and you give your body to Him to use at His disposal. To use at His disposal. I mean, the, the, the reality is you are not your own. Right? You've heard that verse, you've been in church, you've heard that verse your whole life. You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Right? The Bible says that. He, he created you for a purpose. He created you for a purpose. He, he saved you for a purpose. He is sanctifying you and cleansing you for a purpose. There's a purpose to it all. Check out this verse. 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. Notice what it says. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is, what? In you. Whom you have from God, and you are not your own. For you are bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So here's where the issue comes in. We are real quick to walk down an aisle at a time of invitation and kneel down and pray a prayer and make Jesus my Savior. Because I don't want to burn in hell, do you? No. We're real quick to make that move. And say, okay, Jesus, I'm yours. Come save me. You know, however you said it. Because again, none of us want to go to hell. None of us want to be eternally separated from God. None of those things. Nobody wants that. And we don't want that for no one else, right? But we sit here and just wait till Jesus comes. Anyway, we're quick to do that. We should be just as quick to surrender to His Lordship. You see, this is where the disconnect comes for a lot of people. Because I can't have Him Savior and not as Lord. He's both. The two go hand in hand and cannot be separated. So if He is my Savior, and if you know I have that relationship with Him and all is as it should be spiritually speaking, and He is who He should be in my life, then at the same time He's also Lord of my life. What's that mean? It goes back to that straddle the fence thing. It means I can't straddle the fence. It means there's places that I want to go that maybe I used to go that I can't go no more. Maybe there's some things I used to listen to that I can't listen to anymore. Maybe some people I used to talk to that I just don't need to be around anymore. Maybe some TV shows I used to watch that I really don't need to watch anymore. I don't know. We're all different. God deals with us in different ways. But I know that when he's Lord, there's going to be some things that change. It's like the old analogy I've always heard. It's like, it's like a, a new owner in the house. 
right? Nobody buys a house and leaves it just like it was. Same way with the Holy Spirit. If you are His, you are His house. That's what it says. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within you. And He will clean the house. So whatever that thing is that He's been trying to deal with and been trying to move out of the house, man, quit fighting. Let Him have His way. Just surrender and say, okay, God, I'm yours. Again, place yourself at His disposal. Okay, God, however, whenever, just use me as your vessel for your glory. That should be all of our prayer. I want to read uh, that passage, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we read. I want to read it from the message because I love the way he works. Just a couple phrases here. So just stick with it. The message is a New Testament paraphrase. But here's the way he translates it. He said, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Remember that? Present your bodies, right? To lend yourself to His disposal. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit in without even thinking. That's the best sense in the whole thing, I think. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Because again, the Holy Spirit will check you on that stuff and you've got to deal with it. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. I love the way He translates that. So here's what I want you to understand. Every day of your life, every single day of your life, you encounter countless people who need Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you agree with that? Amen. Every single day of your life, you encounter people that need a miracle. They have some issue, they have some situation that they can't change. They cannot fix it. They need a miracle. Every day of your life, you encounter countless situations in the lives of individuals that God wants to change. He wants to invade those things. Right? The, the, going back to the Lord's Prayer, on earth as it is in heaven. Every day of your life, you encounter countless circumstances that God wants to rearrange and wreck. How's He ever going to do that? With churches and an army full of part-time soldiers that want to live on the fence one minute in the world one minute, in the church one minute, and are just constantly flip-flopping back and forth. He can't. Not effectively. So my, my question is simply this, and I'm going to close with this. And, uh, Ethan and Alden will come back up and get ready. I just want to know, we, we determined today to, to quit being a part-time Christian and start living your life of faith and walking in that faith, Right? Being an instrument of God to transform this world. I've shared this before, and I don't. For a long time, I prayed it every morning, and I, I haven't lately. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know that I prayed much anymore at all, really, but for a long time, I prayed every morning was God, just use me as your vessel. As your, as your conduit, God. I know I'm, I'm going to meet people today that need you. I know I'm going to meet people that. that uh, you have some hard situations that they need to change. God, I know I'm going to meet these people today. 
And God just, just used me and flowed through me and changed his life. Because that's the deal, man. God's not calling on me to change him. I can't change him. He's just calling on me to present my body as a sacrifice to make myself available and just let him flow through me. Because he can do instantly what I could never do in my life. If I was given the opportunity to step up and take a step of faith. And let me, let me say this while I'm here. The Holy Spirit will never waste your time. He'll never make you say something or pray something or share a word with someone or go visit someone or do anything that He hasn't already prepared the way ahead of you. You can take it to the bank. So if He's leading you to do something, quit making excuses, quit rationalizing it away. Just do it. Because He's already working. Or He wouldn't waste your time. He wouldn't waste the opportunity that He's about to give you. Amen. So if you want to stand to your feet. So let me just recap and then we're going to have a time of response and invitation. And man, I, I don't know what it is today. Maybe maybe it's the area of servanthood. Maybe, maybe like me for a long time, man, you're just chasing titles and positions. I want you to understand there's no fulfillment in that. There's no satisfaction there. And maybe today you just determined to make yourself all about towels and service. Because that's what true fulfillment is found. That's what we're left here to do. Maybe it's something in the area of laziness. He says, if you're physically able to work, then you should work. If you don't work, you don't eat. That's what he said in verse 10. Maybe you're spiritually lazy. And you're just sort of disconnected and unplugged. Or, or maybe you've served the, the church and been in church for 40 years and you say, I'm done. Well, guess what? You're not done. And because you're here to me, I know you're still alive and you're still breathing the breath of life that God's given you. And that means that you're not done. He's not finished with you. So how are you doing in the area of availability? Every day of your life, you come across countless people with countless situations and circumstances that God wants to just rock your world. But He needs you to do it. He needs you to do it. So will you just commit today to walk by faith, to make yourself available, to surrender yourself and say, okay, God, I will be that vessel. I'll present my body that living sacrifice and I'll give you myself to use at your disposal. Maybe that's the thing you need to make today. Whatever. I just want you to be obedient to whatever the Lord's leading you to do. Maybe it's something we ain't even talked about. It doesn't matter. You need prayer for something, whatever. I'm here. I'd be honored to pray with you. So, Father, we just thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for all that you've done. We thank you for your word. And, Father, I just pray that you would just, as I know you are now, you just continue to work in hearts and lives. And, Lord, you would just deal with these issues in our lives. That we would just make you Lord. And we would just surrender and lay down things and just let you do what you want to do. God, we would just make ourselves available. God, that we would just commit to work and to service, both physically and spiritually. God, that we would just just be the people you've called us to be and walk the path you've called us to walk. Have your will and win our time of response and invitation. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, Amen. Just be obedient to the Lord.